Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you. You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Brossery. More than just bra straps, the accessory I love. With styles from dainty to daring, you will too. Click the link in the description or go to brossery.com and use promo code BUSHIP to get free shipping on your order today. Welcome everyone back to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm really excited because today I have my friend, Dr. Michelle Muggy with me. Michelle and I have had a few interviews and talked about a variety of different things in the past, like self-care. And I invited Michelle, who is the founder of Serenity Foundations. She's a dual licensed clinical psychologist and professional counselor. I invited her today to talk about mental health. So in May, we just celebrated Mental Health Awareness Month. And as we head into the summer, and we're heading into this interesting period of still what is, I would say, a transition in the pandemic, we're still in it, we're kind of coming to the part where things are opening up. Mental health has, I think, shown up in more ways because we're all striving to keep our sanity, being more virtual and realizing that there has been less human connection physically with our friends, our family members, our colleagues. Um, and that, that does, uh, have an impact on us, you know, whether that was at the onset, like somebody like me, who's an extrovert <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, that really did hit me hard, even within just the first weeks and months of the pandemic happening. And I think as I've, um, seen, you know, people from all different walks of life through the course of these last 15 months, almost a year and a half, it's hit people at different times. You know, mm -hmm. what, what, what does the life really look like um, as we've adjusted to um, maintaining our mental health in a world that I think arguably going forward will have much more of a, virtu a virtual aspect to it. So Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I always get excited when you contact me and say, hey, you want to talk? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk, girl. Let's talk. There's always something to talk about. Well, you know, obviously you've been in your profession for a long time. You have clients that come to you for all different reasons. And I'm just curious from you, what have you observed over the last almost year and a half related to mental health in your field and and the kinds of things that people are coming to you for? Do you feel like it's picked up? Do you feel like it stayed the same? Um, what's your view of the world? I think it has picked up a little bit, um, not at the rate that I thought it would, um, but definitely picked up around um, anxiety in general. 
Um, just like because what you said around not being able to communicate with other people, not having that connection because they are having to isolate in their home. Um, I, I know in Arizona, things have started opening up, but for a long time, everyone was staying home. They weren't allowed to leave their house. Um, especially the kids. I've been seeing a lot more kids than usual because of that. Um, and even though they're, they were back in school during the second semester of school, their whole schedule was different and everything had changed. Um, where they would be in class for 45 minutes was extending to two, two and a half hours for some of them. And that's a lot of pressure for a kid. So not yeah. being able to have their breaks. And so, you know, we're seeing that with adults too. Just everything has changed. Yeah. So. And I, you know, I have been pretty concerned about that um, with education. And I'm not an expert in, you know, childhood development or anything like that. But I know from my own experience, from from many people that have children, you know, they say that, interaction is such a critical component in development in terms of the, your your people skills, your communication skills, um, your self-awareness, awareness of other people, social awareness. And now, you know, you kind of strip that away <laughs> from them. And so much of the interaction is happening through the computer screen. And there's less op opportunity. I've heard this all the way up to college aged mm -hmm students who are doing a lot of virtual learning where there isn't the the one-on-one -on -one time to work in between the structured classes mm -hmm. so there's the class where you get the information and you kind of process the information but then when you're doing the part where you're developing because now you're on your own processing it there's less of that one-on-one -on -one because a lot of times it's like some sort of office hours that's limited you're sharing it with other people and you don't get that level of engagement where after class you could pop in between classes you could pop in and talk to your teachers or professors and i'm wondering what kind of impact that has <laughs> you know for learning Right. And it's not just with their professors, it's with their classmates. Because, I mean, think about all the kids that go to school out of state or are leaving home for the first time. And their freshman year or additional years are meant to really engage with other students, other kids their own age. And they're not getting that because many of the schools are telling them you have to stay in your dorms. You can't leave. And so not only are they separated from their friends and family back home, they're not allowed to um, go out with their friends that they've made at school. They're isolating in a strange place. And yeah. between classes, many of these kids need that um, social interaction with um, group studies or study groups. And they're not able to get that. And so yeah. a lot of them are developing anxiety um, and depression because they're not getting that social interaction. Yeah. And that's such a huge part of learning, right? Mm -hmm. Is the, t the togetherness and being able to process yeah. different co concepts together. What would you say to the parents that are in these situations that are trying to help their their kids to have when they're limited to, you know, 
as a parent, there's only so many things that you can do to create an environment that's enriching for your your students at home. <laughs> uh, for for the students at home, that that's uh, it, it's it was a bit hard during the the uh, complete isolation because there really wasn't much that there the parents can do to foster that social interaction when they're limited to a, a, a virtual means through videos. Um, but now that things are starting to open up, I do encourage parents to allow their kids to go back out and interact with other kids. So a lot of parents are still I'm worried about it, but they need to be able to allow their kids to go out. They can still protect themselves, wear masks if they're in in areas where it's still um, it's still important. But otherwise, allow them to go out and interact with their with their peers. Otherwise, you know, staying in the home, isolating. I, I've just seen so many kids who have just develops so many anxieties and um, just stresses at school and at home. They need that. They need that interaction. And if it's, if for those that absolutely can't go out, parents are going to have to step up and create that um, bonding moment with them. They're going to have to pay more attention to their kids, unfortunately, if that is a struggle, but in cases yeah. where they can't go out, there, those are the sacrifices that have to be made for them. Yeah, I, I remember the uh, maybe some denial that I had friends where they were like, this is why they have teachers. I didn't sign up to be a teacher. What am I supposed to do? I don't understand this stuff, you know? And so right. I think it's an adjustment across the board. And, yeah. and I'm very um, amazed by the resiliency of human beings to see that, you know, people have come through this uh -huh. and been so much more resilient than we, I think many of us think we can be when it comes to having to adapt and do things in new ways. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. Having that more intentionality and also just ownership for all of us doing our parts to make the experience as the adults, and for the kids, as meaningful and enriching as as it can be, right? And and really, you know, making sure that they understand that this is going to be really hard on the kids. And so, you know, we have this expectation that they have to be perfect in school. They have to maintain their grades. And you know, we've I've struggled with my own son in that area because this was really hard for him. And so we had to understand that he's not going to make the best grades and you know we we have to consider their mental well-being over their grades and schools are do understand that so yeah. letting go of that expectation that they have to perform at their peak you know that that may be where they're at right now yeah i think that's so important to acknowledge because that pressure um can be controlled Right. Yeah. As parents where, you know, anything less than an A or maybe even a B mm -hmm. is, is not um, the end of the world as far yeah. as, you know, the well-being of your of your children. So that's that's a really good point. Um, let's talk about adults. 
because the kids are important. The kids are important. We, we sort of <laughs> talk about some of the things that we need to do to support them. But I'll tell you that, um, you know, I, I work at a big consulting firm and um, it's been interesting to see what companies have done to support uh, men mental health and mental well-being. So some of the things I've seen, and then I'll be curious to see if this is similar to what you've seen or heard about, is things like um, <clears throat> actually welcoming breaks for mental wellness. So we will actually have a series sometimes where it'll act put, get put on your calendar and it will be like, Oh, I think my thing, Siri on my computer thought I was talking to it. <laughs> it came up. I meant series with an S, um, where they'll put on something where you call in and somebody is doing meditation or yoga for 30 mm -hmm. minutes, you know, and if you can make it, if you happen to be free or don't have a meeting, you just call in and you can participate. And it's a guided thing where you can exercise or you can take a mental break and it's actually supported. The company is promoting that. Um, and also uh, just a conversation, including the top leaders of the organization that say, that encourage, you know, step out in the middle of the day, go for mm -hmm. a walk. You know, if you don't need to be on video, and it's a call where you can take a walk and have a productive conversation at the same time, do it. Um, you know, and also really simple things like take your vacation, you know, what it is one of your benefits, just because the option to continue working, because maybe you don't feel like there's anything else to do. There's not some grandiose vacation you can go on, do a staycation. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, plan something locally, but still take the time for yourself and for your family to give yourself the chance to recharge your batteries, focus on other things besides your work, eliminate some of this, you know, the undue stress that that you can help to manage. And um, it's been very interesting to see that emerge in the work setting is actually encouragement for taking a, a mental break and, and pausing. Is that... Um, similar to what you've seen or, you know, uh, other I have, yeah, I have seen that more and more lately, um, especially with the company I had just presented to, they, they were very, um, supportive of mental awareness and taking breaks, taking vacations and doing what they can for their employees so that they can be at their best performance. We know if someone is struggling with depression, anxiety, you're going to see their work performance sink. They're not going to be productive. And, you know, the more stress we put on them to perform, to perform and not take care of themselves, you're going to start losing um, employees. And, and these big companies, they want to retain their employees, but they have to give them a reason to want to stay, to be loyal. And if, the, if employees feel as if they're cared for, that, they're, that their um, work performance is valued, they're going to want to perform. But we need to make sure that, you know, taking care of themselves physically and mentally is stressed so that they know that they they're not fearful of asking for that day off when they know they need it. 
Mm-hmm. And when you're when they're able to have that um, control and that opportunity to take that time off, then you're going to see less sick calls coming in um, or no shows or whatever that is. You're going to start to see productivity increase because they want to perform rather than having to do it. Yeah. I think that balance is so important to strike because I, mm-hmm. I definitely have seen some of those instances of burnout that happen, um, not just in my immediate orbit, but just hearing from others in different industries that it's almost counterintuitive where you would think, oh, more time with the pandemic and not having the commute, not having maybe some of the logistical things that you've had to deal with before, yet the outcome is people are working more and feeling more tired, which is like, oh, that's strange. I would have thought it would be more interesting and exciting to be home and not have to deal with certain things, but it actually, in some cases, had the opposite effect. Yeah, yeah, because there is no reason for them to stop their work. They can just sit in front of the computer or for many of them who have children at home. We're back to the kids. But when they have children at home, they're having to balance working in front of the computer and making sure that their kids are cared for because daycares were shut down. Schools were shut down. And so they're having to deal with that. And so you know, the, the one thing that I continue to see in the work setting is taking those short breaks, like a five, 10 minute break, and not just pushing through for two or three hours or four or six hours, making sure that you are taking your breaks, making sure that you're taking your lunch break and not working through lunch. Um, and I know we've talked about this before, but when you're eating under stress, that's going to create more stress for your body. So you're taking fuel in, but your body isn't able to consume the nutrition it needs properly because your body is under so much stress. Your digestive system isn't working properly. And those are those little things that people don't often think about. They're always just rushing through everything. They're not thinking about how is my body responding to this environment? And so they start having indigestion, IBS, they start having anxiety, you know, all those things, headaches, and they're not sure what they're doing. They're exercising, they're eating well, but how are you eating? How are you taking a mental break? Just two minutes, even two minutes just to say, okay, I need a breather. I need a regroup and see where am I, how am I functioning at this moment? Am I functioning under stress? Am I able to listen to what my clients are saying or what my boss is saying? Or am I just going through the motion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it acceptable that I just ate an ice cream sandwich for lunch and that that was sufficient? You know, I mean, there's certain things that I think we go through during during our days where you just, like you said, go through the motions. One of the things that I've I've had a newfound appreciation for now, I don't know if it's age or what it what it is. And I, I actually talked to a friend who is a um, a holistic nutritionist is uh, naps like actually you know, having that afternoon, 20 minutes, n- nothing, you know, excessive. It really is just a, a recharge um, mm-hmm. 
to to kind of reset because you hit there's like I don't know there's like a 3 p.m. wall or something that happens where yeah. you know you're on calls and calls and calls and making decisions and doing all these important things and and then you just get to a point where it doesn't feel uh, like you're at your best energy level you know and so it's not always but I have found that the occasional nap does quite a bit of service as far as of course you know, yeah. yeah it's a great I'm way to recharge and if you think about those companies those big companies um that have employees that are so dedicated and loyal to them take a look at what they offer their employees like google we've heard they have their nap pods and other companies that are similar those employees are spoiled in a way but they want to work there. They they want to perform and they work, you know, they perform at their best when they're allowed to have their breaks. So they're mm -hmm. fed well, they're offered nap pads, you know, all these things and, and everyone wants to work there. Yeah. So take note, people, if your company <laughs> is not offering a nap pod, that is a new innovation that you could suggest in the in the uh, employee engagement survey <laughs> that comes out. Like, I think an, uh, encouraging naps would be good. But yeah, I, th I do think there's a lot of creative ways. You know, one of the things that I also wanted to talk with you about is just the whole, I, I would still call it stigma of mm -hmm. getting mental health support. So, okay. For example, we're taught, you know, I would say from a pretty early age that you should go to the dentist and you should go to the doctor as far as the mm -hmm. medical doctor to do your annual checkup, make sure everything's working right, things are going well. Is there anything nutritionally that you need different? Do you need to floss your teeth more? Whatever the case is. And these are things that we are conditioned to do because they're good for you. When it comes to mental health, I don't know that, I mean, maybe it's starting to shift. I don't, you know, I haven't kept up with all the curriculum to see if it's encouraged more and more in education to actually seek assistance or seek support with mental health. But I, I don't think it's the same message all the time. And then also people feel like asking for help, going to a therapist, going to a counselor, uh, calling your employee assistance program, your EAP that a lot of com companies offer is seen as like a failure. Like if I ask for help, that means that I can't handle it on my own. There must be something wrong with me. I should be able to figure this out. Why can't I just read a book and everything will get better? What would you say about that to help us to get out of that mentality of mental health is this thing that's like, ooh, it's bad? Yeah, the, the two primary um, issues that I still see is that the mindset around going to see a therapist or a counselor is a sign of weakness. Um, or like you said, there is something inherently wrong with you, like I'm broken. Um, and so a lot of companies, a lot of organizations are starting to make that shift. 
Um, some schools are starting to make that shift also to make mental health a priority or at least encouraged, but there's still that whole stigma and, and it's, it, it's based around society and many times cultural where you're not allowed to talk about your issues and you're definitely not allowed to talk about family issues. And so we, we really have to make sure that we focus on you know, going to get mental treatment isn't about putting your family down or putting anyone down, but it's about being able to release some of that energy that's causing the stress, that's causing the anxiety. It's about just letting that go because when we're told that we can't talk about that, what do we do? We stuff it. Where does that energy go? It goes throughout our body, causing stress in our body um, and wreaking havoc. Um, causing headaches, causing muscle tension, um, and it's it's making it worse. And so I'm seeing adults later in life that ha- are struggling with chronic pain because they weren't able to express themselves throughout their life. And, and we don't, pe- we still don't um, allow ourselves to link those issues, how mental health is creating physical pain because of because of the stigma around it. And so, you know, encouraging everyone, even if you're not going to see a mental health professional, allowing people to just talk, to use someone as a sounding board. Sometimes that's all it takes, especially for the kids. We can start with the kids and allow them to just talk without um, degrading them or judging them, then they can grow into healthy adults where, you know, they don't necessarily need to go to someone like me, which may cause my job to go away. <laughs> but that might be a good thing. Um, but still, if, if we can allow people to just use their voice, then a lot of those issues won't necessarily come up for them. Yeah. I think the power of listening and conversation is so much more than what we think it is, you know, because um, I remember for, for me personally, for the times that I decided to go to a professional therapist and talk about whatever was the thing I, I feel that I was challenged by at the time, whether it was my marriage, whether it was family relationships, it was a way for me to get perspective to pause because often i just i just don't think we pause <laughs> to reflect on our life enough to understand how we got to the point where we are feeling like there are problems that are difficult for us to solve on our own um <clears throat> but also how to have productive conversations with people that you need to have them with sometimes what the revelations that i got out of therapy was how to communicate with people that I needed to communicate with, but just struggled internally with how to do it for many different reasons. Fear of what it would do to that relationship, outcomes that I was concerned about. But um, there, there, there was always more good than anything that came out of taking the time to manage my mental well-being the same way that I would see the doctor regularly for checking 
all the systems in my body to see if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. It was like a, a check for my brain. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, my own experience has helped me to recognize the value of that, but also just seeing more um, people that I care about going through some really difficult things and wondering if seeking help is a good decision, you know, still kind of going, going through. And culture, I do think, like you said, is something, you know, that is, is a, is a stigma. I know, you know, in my own marriage, one of the things that I was hoping for was that my husband would want to go with me to therapy, but in his culture, in the Mexican culture where he's from, I'm not saying everyone, but just mm -hmm. in, his, in that specific, our specific situation, um, it wasn't seen as positive. It was seen as men should figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like, why do, you need to, why do you need to talk to somebody? Just, just deal with it. And right. I was like, yikes. <laughs> I think that seems, that seems like you're doing the same behaviors and hoping for a different outcome, but you're spinning your wheels. And so that, that was the challenge I think for, for myself and my relationship. And I, I feel like that could be the case for many other people. <laughs> right. Specifically for men, um, because, you know, most men are taught that they have to be strong, that they can't show weakness, that they can't show emotions. And so can, thinking about going to see a therapist, especially a female therapist, to discuss their problems, that's, that's going to be a big blow to their ego. Um, and, mm -hmm. and it's interesting that you bring that up because I, we had talked about that. I'm seeing a lot more men now than I had in the past. And the one thing that comes up for them is um, you also mentioned it before is being able to learn how to listen. And that's what they come to me for. Um, I find that many of them come in saying, they don't want their families to try to fix them. Their families want to fix everything whenever they have a problem. And they come to me so that I can just listen, so that they can have a place to vent and um, gain a different perspective and not feel as if someone is trying to fix them. Wow. That's really that's really eye-opening. Yeah. Because that must be like a lot of pressure. Yeah. And if you think about men, they don't want to, I mean, you know, they, they don't want to be fixed. They don't feel as if they need to be fixed because they're men. Again, in society in general. Um, and so, you know, that that's what we talk about is gaining a different perspective and just being able to express themselves without feeling judged or criticized for not being strong enough to get just get through it. And just let it go. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I've spent so much time engaging with women on very vulnerable areas of life, mm -hmm. from relationships to careers to parenting and all of the things in between. And there is a 
almost ready attitude for being able to have these discussions. And as I've spent more time with really incredible men that I would say are very in tuned emotionally with themselves, um, have spent uh, a lot of time on reflection and working on those emotional or, or, you know, one might even say feminine energy or, or something like that. Um, and they're in the, the coaching space. So while they're learning about themselves, they're also helping other people. I didn't know until I spent more time with them um, some of those interesting statistics that men actually have a higher suicide rate than women and, um, you know, struggle with seeking support and I don't and maybe those are linked to each other because because of the lack of seeking support then you know a lot of these scenarios play out where that unfortunate decision is made but that that was really disheartening to to learn that there's so many people that suffer in silence mm -hmm. that way yeah, and, and that's the main issue there, that they are suffering in silence, that they're not allowed to express themselves because of who they are or where they come from. Um, and, you know, it's important that just because we're talking about emotions doesn't mean that you're emotional, right? Because emotions is, is natural. It's natural to have every type of emotion, but what do you do with it? So you can have anger, but how do you express it? You can have fear and pain, but how do you express it? And that's what's not being taught. It's that you can have an emotion, but let's learn how to express it in a healthy way. So it doesn't stay hidden inside to later come out in the form of self-harm or harm to others or, you know, any self-destructive behaviors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Just thinking, so if we can get, you know, thinking about that. Yeah. So if we can take the stigma out of expressing your emotions, then mental health isn't going to be such a bad thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. but we, we have to yeah. start at the basics. What advice do you give to, to men when they come to you and you're working with them on communication on things that they can do? You know, obviously coming to you is a place where they can both express and then also be heard what how do they translate that into the home so what do they do when they actually get back in their home with their partners their children their families how do they become more um high functioning <laughs> with those things like emotions um when they come to you challenged to begin with well, I mean, the first thing is they, they do have to communicate with their spouses. Um, and, you know, sometimes other spouses aren't in a place where they, they are also capable of doing that. And so in those types of situations, it is important that both partners are seeking their own support. Um, usually when I'm working with men in relationships, um, their spouses are also needing support in that area. And so I do encourage them to see a couples therapist in addition to their own therapists so that they, whatever they're learning in 
their individual counseling session, they can bring it into their couples therapy session and apply the tools um, with someone who's going to help guide them. As far as starting at home, it's just that simple talk. You know, and we work on establishing their internal boundaries. So when they hear their spouse say something, they're not quite as sensitive to whatever they perceive is happening as they were before, because their reaction is based on what they're perceiving versus what is actually happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Perception and reality. Yeah. Starts so, to become. Right. So we work a lot around that. Um, we work a lot around, you know, what could their their spouse be possibly um, thinking based on their own history? Um, and, and so they'll bring in that information. And so I'll give them a different perspective. Could your wife, girlfriend or whoever that is be coming from this um this perspective? Do they have trauma in their history? And so what, how you're reacting to them is um, bringing up their own past. And so they're functioning from a trauma response versus, versus what they're actually doing, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And I, I remember listening to different therapists, everyone from Esther Perel and um, Dr. Gottman. And when they, you know, one of the things that I remembered when he specifically was talking about couples that I thought was so fascinating was that couples tend to argue 69% of the time about the same things, you know, over and over again. I mean, mm -hmm. it could be everything as small as I don't know, leaving the toilet seat up. I'm just kind of making up a right. maybe maybe an example that somebody can relate to. But to more serious things like, you know, you don't listen to me or I've asked you to be more romantic and you never do or, you know, whatever the different things people argue about. And it's that feeling of not being heard, not being validated, not feeling accepted. Um, and, and so then what I got out of, you know, these folks talking about this is that it's the tools that you use to talk in a more effective way than um, being accusatory or judgmental or carrying forward a lot of the past traumas that made you defensive or, you know, mm -hmm. things that just don't serve you. Like how do you, how do you adopt new behaviors that are actually healthy when you're communicating and maybe you're not on the same page and you're trying to get to a common ground or an understanding between two people? Right. And that's where the work on becoming aware of why you're responding to certain events and where is that stemming from? Because it's not about the toilet seat. It's not about finances or any of that stuff. It's about, you know, what is it bringing up for you? What are the messages, the negative self-talk that comes up when you hear or see someone do something? And how are you, how is your past being reflected in your reactions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think but, because what it comes down to how, what, what is it making you feel? Because that's usually what it is, you know, yeah. when, when somebody does X, I feel hurt, misunderstood, mm -hmm. you know, 
all right. of those those things and then that's what you're trying to get at right it's yeah. the, it's the feeling that you're trying to avoid or address mm -hmm. because it's less than ideal you right. know you want to feel happy and joyful and other things but yeah. that's yeah you know and and often i get that question why do we have to talk about the past the past is the past why do i have to talk about my childhood that was when i was a kid it doesn't matter anymore i don't think about it but you know, when you really think about it, how are our beliefs formed? How are our perceptions formed? It's based on experiences and our experiences in childhood affect our um, perception as teens, which then affects our perception as young adults and so on and so on. And so talking about our past and becoming aware of what those negative experiences are and how they're coming up in your present day is so vital to understand why so that you can catch yourself when you're doing it and then stop and change and pivot in a way to respond in a different way to the same yeah. to, to the same interaction mm -hmm. uh, and too i wonder well, and I guess you could pick up on that in these conversations when you feel that sense of resistance, you know, mm -hmm. from someone who's like, no, I don't want to talk about that, is avoidance mm -hmm. of like, you know, what harm is there in doing that? But that's that's another thing that maybe is just uncomfortable. Maybe there right. are things that people just don't want to address, don't want to revisit. They don't want to go back to certain feelings or experiences, but then... Um, I've I've found that not addressing those things are often the catalyst for why certain things continue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's kind of tricky as a therapist to you know go in that area when they're very when they don't want to. And so we, we can't really force them to go down that path. And so at least in, in my practice, if, if they're absolutely refusing to talk about their past, I have to honor it. So we talk about certain things that come up today, how they're re responding. But I find that at, at some point, they do go back to their past because then we can start to think about, okay, when was the last time you felt that way? Okay, when was the last time you felt that way again? And again and again, until we get to a stopping point and, oh, we're at your childhood. And so at some point we do get to that place, but yeah. you know, I have to make sure that I don't push them to the point where they're shutting down with me as well. Yeah. You're, there's still that safety that's being created so that there's a, a, a space of trust that mm -hmm. you're trying to, to manage, but I can't imagine that's always easy. You yeah. Know? Well, and especially like you said, if you're, if you're talking to couples as well. So it's, you know, an individual is, is something, but then if you have two personalities, two different emotions, two different, you know, characters and qualities, then trying to navigate that together where maybe sometimes someone doesn't want to say something because that person's there and they don't want to get into that, you know, right. but that's like the benefit of a third party. I feel like <laughs> is the whole point is sometimes it takes the questions that you have that, create conversations that didn't exist prior to coming to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So they'll come in and talk about issues around um, money, around kids, 
um, and, you know, all those other issues. But the the way I approach is I, I, ha I need for them to get to the source of their issue. And it's usually not money. Um, it, it's really not the kids, but it, it's about their own um, belief about themselves in their relationship. And so we, we try to get to the source of that so it doesn't keep coming up. Again, all the negative experiences. So even though we're working with a couple, we're still I still take on a trauma-informed approach with them. How is your experiences impacting your view of your spouse and your role in this relationship? And once we can wow. get to that piece, then we can start creating change because it's really hard to create change if you don't know why it's happening. And so I love getting to the why and understanding what that is so that they can they can start making movement. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, I'm sure eye opening for people to actually give themselves the space to uncover the answers to the questions that, that you're asking when they haven't had that opportunity, you know, to, th to think about things in a certain way or recognize maybe even patterns behaviors, triggers that, like you said, it's the sense of building awareness to know how to respond, mm -hmm. how to sense, you know, what's happening with your, your body. Because I also think there's, there's that element too, you know, when you feel more tense, mm -hmm. when you get a feeling of anxiety, when you get that pit in your stomach, when you get a headache, you know, all of those are signals that are telling you I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. This isn't a good yeah. feeling. But um, sometimes I think we just don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so right. we need some help to ask for that. So I, you know, I hope for anybody listening that this conversation is, is maybe um, opening you up to either acknowledgement of things that you have done and should be proud of and commend yourself for seeking help and opening yourself up to new ways of looking at life and approaching um, how to continue getting healthier and better. And also if you've questioned, you know, should, should I ask for help? Is it something that um, is, is negative? And, and I, you know, I want us to be able to be in a place one day where it is beyond Mental Health Awareness Month, that we recognize the value of it. Because I do think, like many other habits, maintaining our well-being um, in the form of things like, you know, meditation and taking these breaks and having these healthy conversations um, is, is something that can be a norm one yeah. day you know, versus, versus a stigma or something that, you know, feels like you have to t talk about it in secret <laughs> or something. Right. Yeah. You Not know? being afraid of just being you. Everyone is always wearing that mask. And so mm -hmm. we can take that mask off. And like you said, just accept where we're at and who we are, then there is no reason to contain all that emotion. It's, it'll feel empowering and free just to say, 
I'm okay with who I am. Yes. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that still mean there's room for improvement? Absolutely. So no one's saying that there isn't always room for improvement, but accepting where you're at today Mm -hmm. is so important. And I also think that it's important to, um, acknowledge that there are good days and bad days Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Um, you know, as I, I've personally, been asked to do more talks or be interviewed about career or growth or business or entrepreneurship, um, I've been much more open in terms of saying what my low moments look like, that it was a dark time. There were some things that happened that I've gone through that um, really pushed me you know, to make certain decisions or recognize I needed to take care of myself differently or breakdowns that I've had as a result of trying to uphold a certain image or standard that was unreasonable, you know, to begin with. And I think when we can admit the human aspects Mm -hmm. of who we are, the fact that there are times where we, we are on our A game and able to accelerate and do more and accomplish things that are awesome. There's also times when we have to say no, where we have to pause, where we have to take a break, where we, um, you know, need more time to, to, to really give the best at something or change a deadline. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're any less of a good person or a, a person that wants to help other people, but it's just that you are a human person and that it's okay to, to have those days where you need to take a little bit of time for yourself to, um, to get to a better place again. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying before, all emotions are important. So if you're feeling sad, it's okay to feel sad if you're feeling pain or anger. You know, a lot of people are um, so threatened by someone getting angry. You're not allowed to get angry, especially if you're a woman, you're not allowed to get angry, but it's important um, to be able to feel those emotions. Um, And like you said, realize that you are human. And I think that's one of the things that uh, many of my clients appreciate is that I'm not just, a therapist that went to school and um, did all this research. I actually do talk about those times in my life where I did struggle, similar issues as theirs. Um, I'm very open about that and I let them know this is what I had to do. I have my own therapist. Um, I've gone to couples therapy. You know, I've done all the things that I'm telling my clients to do um, so that they know I'm not just talking. I'm not just BSing. Um, the things I tell you to do, I do for myself. Do I struggle too? Absolutely. Do I have my low days? Absolutely. But I have to follow. Um, I have to do what I preach. And if I don't, I'm not. I, I'm not good to my clients. And so mm-hmm. those mental health days, those breaks, I have to take those um, as well. Otherwise, I I can get burned out um, in my profession as well. And you see yeah. a lot of. You see a lot of them like that. Same in um, the medical um, careers, um, in you know law enforcement, in first responders, anywhere. If they don't take time for themselves, you see that 
you see that burnout, you see that stress level increase. So that's why mental health in all areas, um, in any career is so important. Yeah. I think we want to believe we're superhuman, (laughs) but you know, the cape needs to come off. Hey, even Superman needed a break. (laughs) Right? Wonder Woman, Superman, Uh all of all of that. You know, they they need ways to recharge too. But this has been such a a helpful, cathartic conversation because I just I'm really passionate about people taking care of themselves and not and not just now because we've gone through this tumultuous time of the pandemic, but because we just should in general, you know, even even at our even in times when the world is flourishing, sometimes we're not necessarily feeling that way. And it's OK to 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 do what we need to do for ourselves. So I wanted to ask you a few personal questions so people get to know going back to the notion of we're all unique individuals and we all have the things that we're growing in. That is definitely something that I want all of my listeners to to get a sense of on the show is embracing the unique things that make us who we are. So I have a few questions for you to learn more about you. And the first one is um, what three words best describe you? Oh, I've heard this before. (laughs) Those are always hard to um, think about. Um, I think the first one that I have a lot of passion around is integrity. Like I was saying before, I practice what I preach. And if I don't live with integrity, um, I can't help inspire others to do the same. And and that's my second word is inspire. That's uh, the passion I have with my clients to inspire them. Um, When I go on these talks, um, my goal is to inspire others to really um, engage in self-care and really help themselves. Um, And then I don't know what the third one is. Um, I, I, I guess it's, passion that it combines everything. Um, you, you can tell when I'm passionate about something, I get really excited, whether it's with my career or my family or when I'm traveling. Um, I think my, I think my friends and my family would agree that I do have a lot of passion around that. Oh, I love that. Those are so great. And I, I definitely think of those words when I think of you. So that, that is, that's really good alignment. Okay, my next question for you is, what is something that you are working on improving? Um, uh, I think this is something that I'm constantly working on um, is my communication. Um, Growing up, I didn't feel as if I can um, openly express myself. Um, And as I got older, I developed social anxiety where I could not talk in front of people, much less um, a crowd. Um, And that impacted how I performed in my work setting. Um, And I've always felt as if I could not truly express what my concerns are. 
um, or who I am as a person. So that is something that I continuously work on. Um, it's something that when I was in couples counseling with my husband, that's the main thing that I had to work on is to communicate with him so that he can understand where I was coming from um, and really communicating with my kids as well. Um, so that is always something I'm, I am working on 24 um, seven, really. Um, that's yeah. the basis of any relationship is communication. And that's what I work with my clients on. And so that's what I have to force myself to work on as well. Yeah, I think that aligns so well with what you were saying about integrity, is that communication is such a foundational element of what you do in your profession. So to hear that it's something that as a doctor, and someone who is in the field of communication that you continue to work on communication, like, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. a, you know, an important thing that is really cool to hear. Um, what is a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Um, that, that's really that I'm good enough at what I do. It, you know, that imposter syndrome, um, that's something that along with the social anxiety that comes up quite a bit. Um, and so that's something that I've had to really, really work on understanding that I have the skills, I have the knowledge, I have the education to be doing what I do. I know what I'm doing. Um, it's just believing that I am capable of doing that, of providing what my clients need. Yeah. Enoughness. Yeah. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. I definitely relate to that a lot. Um, okay. What is something that you want to see changed in the world? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, I would love to see people just be kind to themselves. Focus on being kind on themselves before focusing on being kind on everyone else. We have, there's that, um, everyone is talking about be kind, you know, and they're, they're all talking about being kind to people around you, but you can't really be kind to someone next to you if you don't have that kindness for yourself. And so, and that's why I really love working in this field because I can really focus on teaching someone to show themselves some compassion and some kindness. Because if you can do that for yourself, all the crap that you see around you isn't going to, isn't going to have that impact that it has on you right now, right? Wow. If you can have kindness for yourself, you, you can have kindness for someone. It's going to become more inherent. It's going to be easy to show kindness towards everyone else. Yeah. It's so interesting because as you started talking, I thought you were going to say kindness for others because that is something often that we hear. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have that nuance on there because I think we're the worst to ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I think we're, 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 we almost place everyone else on a pedestal because we want, you know, to please and we want to, uh, achieve and we want to fulfill and we want to make people happy. 
but then we're we're like last on the list. It's like, meh, well, right. I'll just get to myself yeah. later. And if you're kind to yourself, there isn't going to be this need to bully others or to put anyone else down because you're going to feel great about yourself mm-hmm. or at least accept the accept some of your faults. And so if you're able to accept your faults um, and your positive qualities, then you're going to be able to extend that to everyone else. You're going to have compassion for when others um, struggle as well. You're not going to have to put them down to make yourself better. Yeah. Oh, that right? happens. <laughs> that happens where, yeah. where you know you you observe that you're witness to that of people having an attitude or treating others in a certain way, and so much of that is a projection of how they haven't mm-hmm. filled up or addressed the things within them that they're angry about. They're either angry or they're fearful about their own insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. Insecurity is a huge um, mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people don't want to look at themselves in that mirror. (laughs) But I think it's, um, it's really telling when there, there becomes more awareness of how to do a better job of recognizing that you have to change change your attitude and change your behavior towards yourself so you can do a better job to others. Right. Okay. My my last question for the, for this part is uh what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, um that was when I was freshman year in high school. I was on the track team. Um, I loved running, but I had never ran long distance before. And my coach said you had to do um, one of the long runs. I can't remember what it was. And I was struggling. And what he told me was, I don't care if you come in last place, but don't stop moving. And I apply that to everything I do now. And I didn't realize that until a a few months ago when I was listening to one of your podcasts and this question came up and I was wondering, what was the best advice? I can say so many things, but this is the one thing that I realized then that that's what drove me to continue doing everything that I struggled with when I was when I had self-doubt, when I struggled in school, when people told me I couldn't do certain things, I kept going. I didn't stop. And that was the the message that I kept giving myself over and over again. And again, two months ago, I realized where that came from. And it was my coach freshman year. Wow. Perseverance is such a, is such a thing that um, is a great life lesson. And that stuck with you all the way from freshman year in high school. That's yeah. awesome. That's so amazing. Okay. So Dr. Muggy, how can people follow the work that you're doing? Is there anything that you want folks to know about? Any programs that you're starting or things that would be helpful for those that might need it? Yeah. I Right now, I, I do provide... Um, 
counseling sessions in the state of Arizona. Um, this is the only state I'm licensed in right now. I'm working on um, some other states. But for those in Arizona, they can find me in Phoenix at serenityfoundations.com. Um, I also offer a women's virtual group that meets twice a month um, on Fridays. And so if they would like um, to, for me to provide them with some counseling along with um, some peer support, um, that's something that they can um, participate in as well. Um, as far as everyone else, I do offer coaching. Um, it's not something that I focus on, but for those who really want to work with me and are not in the state of Arizona, um, I do offer coaching, um, again, for those who don't necessarily need therapy, but need some guidance um, towards making achieving their goals. That's awesome. I'll make sure that uh, the way that people can reach you is in the show notes so mm -hmm. they can click and follow and check out your website and, and be able to see the great work that you do. I'm, I'm so grateful for the time to spend with you. I always walk away feeling refreshed and like I learned something new and I, I'm, I'm just, I value our relationship so much and, um, I'm blessed that you came into the universe because you've been such a great sounding board for things that matter to me and I think matter to so many people. And I'm, I'm just really happy that you continue to be passionate to do the work you do because I think that we do need you and more people that do what you do because I think it's just, uh, it's an important place for us to, to grow um, as, as people to become better and to be able to give the best of ourselves to the world. So, so just thank you for what you do every day. Well, thank you. I, I, I love that you have this space where I can actually talk to you. Um, I'm always honored when you, um, ask me to come on your show. Um, I, I love talking about this. And so you provide that space and, um, your podcasts, uh, listening to all everyone that you have interviewed is inspiring for me as well. Thank you so much. And just a little a heads up of something kind of fun that Dr. Muggy and I are doing. It's a it's a neat collaboration that we have with WO3. So WO3 is a, a women's organization found by Tammy Relier. She's also the founder of a fashion company called Brasserie. Happen to be wearing her very fashionable. Uh, <laughs> bra straps, very uh, high-end bra straps here, <laughs> just in case you wanted to know about that, um, a little plug. But we are um, working on, uh, targeted for the end of July, an Instagram live conversation about mental health and its impact for entrepreneurship, for women, and what that looks like, so it'll be fun for us to engage in that setting. So if you follow us on Instagram, you can look out for that. We'll be able to share when we finalize more of the details of when that is and what it looks like, what we'll be doing. But I'm looking forward to that. And just being able to, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, normalize the conversation around mental health, mental, mental well-being, even for 
the go-getters, the entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. the people who are changing the world, you know, we can only change the world when we're taking care of ourselves. So we're, we're excited to be able to do that here um, in, in the late summer. So thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Uh, tune in again next week for another episode. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Dr. Michelle Muggy. Oh, I love so much having her on the show. And just so you know, y'all, I am sweating it out. I do not know what is going on with my air conditioner. So it has been a delight <laughs> to have to uh, podcast with a light shining on me as I am uh, breaking out a sweat as if I just worked out. Anyways, that is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about my reflection on mental health, mental well-being, self-care, all the things and all the things. And my conversation with Dr. Muggy reinforced the importance of all of that. I want you to ask yourself, what are you doing on a daily basis to take care of your mental well-being? What does that look like for you? How does that show up? And if your answer is that it's not showing up and you don't have a way where you are taking care of that, what might you do differently to change that for the better? Simple things like taking the time to do a two-minute breathing exercise, take five minutes to do a meditation, take 10 minutes to go for a walk, take 30 minutes if you can pull it off to do something like exercise, go for a walk, take a mental break, even take a nap if you dare. I think naps are fantastic, like I talked about. And uh, recharge your batteries. Recharge your batteries. Do what you need to do to make sure that you are feeling rejuvenated. And uh, self-care, always an important thing. But I would also just say, don't underestimate the value of connection. If there's one thing that I suggest that you do, Today or tomorrow, if you're listening to this really late and it's not an appropriate time to do this, is call somebody that you haven't talked to for a while. Connect with them. Make it a point to listen to somebody right now who will really appreciate hearing from you and let them know what's going on with you. Too often we let time go by and don't have the type of meaningful connections that we should and weeks turn into months, turn into years and we don't need that to happen. So take a moment, connect with someone that you haven't connected with, make it happen. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast. It is always my absolute pleasure to bring you new content and amazing people who inspire me and I hope inspire you to be more of who you are. And remember, you are your only limit. So take action today. Share this episode with somebody who may need to hear it. Give them that gift. 
of growth and reflection, pay it forward. Have an awesome day and I will see you next time on next week's amazing episode.